All right. So you guys have your Bibles. Um, I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? Anyone? No. <laughs> done something that you knew was wrong, but for whatever reason you made the decision to go ahead and do it, and then you thought you were fine for a little while, and then a little bit later, the truth came to the surface and you got caught. No. No again. All right. Whew. Someone doesn't need God's grace. But for the rest of us. Hallelujah. No. I feel like we all know that feeling. All right. So, and I, some of you guys don't know, but I, I mean, I was kind of like a goody two shoes growing up, but I know this feeling of doing something I knew I shouldn't have done. And then getting caught later. So I'll tell you a little story. One year at church camp, see, I told you, getting two shoes. My story of doing something wrong was at church camp. But um, we had church camp every year growing up, and it was the highlight of my year. And probably like over a thousand kids would come from all over the state. And um, the mode of transportation, um, if you were an adult or a camp counselor or something, they had these little golf carts. Uh, you know, the two-person golf carts, and you put your clubs in the back, right? But for the rest of us, for the campers, we just had to walk around everywhere, all this huge, just hundreds of acres campus. And so me and some of my buddies in middle teenage years, we just thought it was the funnest things, and all the kids covered their ears. But to wait till people went to bed and then go see if we could temporarily steal a golf cart and then roll it around the campus and hopefully not get caught. Um, so one time we did this. And uh, probably five or six of us, we had these golf carts, we're going around the baseball fields, and we're, you know, just playing these games and everything. I went, we went through some cabins, and I heard like a clink noise, but just kept going. That's where I should have stopped. But anyways, kept going, and we ended up parking them somewhere and just leaving, and we go to bed in the dorms that night, think, oh yeah, that was a lot of fun. Next day, one by one, my friends are getting picked off in interviews from the adults at camp. So, uh, you know, there were some golf carts that went uh, missing last night. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, right? And so they're, they're picking them off one by one, and no one's telling. No one's ratting, right? And then it comes my turn. Church service. The night, the night, the PM church service, and my pastor just happened to be the sound man at this church camp. And my pastor called me out of the thousand young people that are there up into the sound booth in the middle of the church service. And he said, so Kenny, uh, you didn't happen to know anything about these golf carts that were messing around last night. And I'm like, golf carts? Really? No. Um, it says, well, yeah, you know, it wouldn't be that such a big deal, but one of them uh, rolled over one of our faucets, and it busted the water line, and it ran all night and flooded that part of the campgrounds, and uh, we don't know how much it's going to cost the camp yet, but, um, you know, so we just really like to find out some information if you know about that, and I had that feeling of, oh, I've been caught, I've been caught, and I also had the feeling of, I'm in the middle of a church service with my pastor, and I don't think I can pull off lying to him right now. <laughs> right? And as bad as that feeling was for me getting caught, and I won't go into the, the reprimand and everything that came out of that, but I will say it was for my good 
and I learned about responsibility and being irresponsible, and I learned what I should and shouldn't be doing with golf carts there that weren't mine. Right, so the story is redeemed for all the kids. The adults are worried. But we all know that feeling of being found out, being caught. We're guilty. But eventually, it's usually for our good when we get caught. Now, today, we're going to see that Jonah had been given a command from God. And the command was to take the word of God and go to Nineveh, a people that were very intimidating to him, a people that worshipped and served other gods, and were probably hostile to the message that he was going to send. And when he received the command from God, he did not go and obey it. He knew what was the right thing to do, but he went the other way. He ran away. But he found, and what we're going to find today, is that he could not escape the confrontation, as it were, of God's uncomfortable grace. An uncomfortable aspect of God's grace that was sent to shake him and to wake him up from his rebellion. But it was really for his good. Have you ever run from God? Have you ever run from God's will in your life? Are you running in some area of your life right now? If the answer is yes, you're probably not singled out. Because that's the, nat- the Bible says that's the natural bent of our heart is to rebel against God. And it's a miracle that we're even here to enjoy and listen to the gospel today. So don't be surprised if the answer is yes in your heart. But is there an area of your life where maybe God has, well, we know God has sent us in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. But is there an area of your heart where you're sometimes like, well, I know they're not really going to be, they might be hostile to the message. Or this is good for me and my church friends, but, uh, you know, for other people, they have their own thing. Yet Jesus is saying, go make disciples of all nations. Or maybe it's not mission, maybe it's an area of sin in your life. Where it's an area where you're looking to be outside of the control of God. I think we all know that experience of running from God right now. So I want you to think about where in your life that may be happening. Because if that's the case, if there's an area right now where you're running from God, this message is for you. This message is good news for you today. And we're going to talk about an uncomfortable aspect of God's grace that's in work in our lives that will wake us up and turn us back toward God. So, let's read Jonah chapter 1. All right. It's going to be on the screen as well. If you need a Bible, um, we've got them right there. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. So take it home with you today. Um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, there it is again, but Jonah, had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to see him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots. That's their, in that time, that's their way of uh, divining God's will. It's kind of like drawing straws, right? So casting lots is kind of like our version of drawing straws. But they said, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on who? Jonah. Jonah. Of course. Just when I was trying to get away. Right? Lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? So they have a lot of questions. Because <laughs> the waves are really high. The ship is threatening to break. They've already unloaded so much of the cargo to make it lighter. And they want to know, what did you do? Right? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, see, you'd think they would just do that, right? <laughs> but instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice. These were men who did not know or serve the Lord, the God of Jonah. They feared the Lord and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Well, what happened to Jonah, right? <laughs> Next verse, final verse of the chapter. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Amen. All right. So we see that Jonah is running from God. And I just want to unpack three quick points about how God's grace pursues him even though he's running away. And I'm calling it uncomfortable grace because God is willing to use uncomfortable situations to bring Jonah back to life. Because Jonah is headed towards death. He's headed the opposite way that the Creator God of the entire universe called him to go. And God is not willing to let him be so short-sighted to miss the very purpose of his own life. 
God is not willing to let 120,000 people in Nineveh to go without hearing the message of God because Jonah's short-sightedness and selfishness and rebellion. So God sends uncomfortable grace in three ways today. And the first of those is the storm on the sea. Excuse me, I need just a sip of water. The storm on the sea. You see, when Jonah received the command of God, he ran away from God. Instead of obeying, he disobeyed. And he looked for a place that he could go to escape God's call. But in the, in the story, where did he go? He went from the land to where? The sea, right? And we know this, but did God make the land? Yes. Did, who made the sea? Okay, so when Jonah's trying to get away from God, he just goes from the land that God made to the sea that God made. And believe it or not, God's also in control of that. Even when they asked him, who's God, who, who do you serve? Who, what God do you worship? And he said, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the land and the sea. And when he said this, the sailors were terrified, what it says. Do you know why they were terrified? Because in the ancient Near East cultures that had many gods, the supreme deity was the one who was the master of the seas. So when he says, I worship the God who made the land and sea, they're like, and you're running from him? <laughs> no wonder. Right? And another thing is, in that culture and in that day, the gods were localized and just had specific kind of responsibilities, right? So you would go to one country and they'd have a god of the sun and a god of the moon and a god of war and sex and fertility and wine, right? And then you'd go two countries over and they'd have all the same things but different gods. But Jonah is confessing and saying, my God is over all of that. And even though I started in Israel and I went to Joppa and now I'm in the sea, I cannot find a place where his love does not reach. I cannot find a place where his call will come off of me. There was nowhere he could go that was outside of the control of God, but he still was running for it. He had the God of the land, but not of the sea syndrome. And he had some pretty bad symptoms, right? And it's funny when we look at it and think about it, but do we not do the same thing? Do we not do the same thing in our lives? Do we not have areas where we feel like if I can, I just kind of sequester this area of my life over and God's commands are out of bounds if they cross this Maybe if I get far enough, I can get away from God's call to share the gospel because it's scary. Oh, and I don't know what's going to happen. It's intimidating. Or maybe there's a sin in your life and no one else knows about it. And even though you want to get rid of it, but it still happens. And it's just, it's sequestered off in this area that, well, God's will doesn't make its way that far. But it does. It does. Or maybe it's a sin that everyone knows about and you don't care because you're not ready to let go of it. God's will and God's control. We, we cannot go to a place that His will and His control is not for us and for our good. 
There's not a place where God's rules don't apply to us. And so what happens to Jonah when he has God of the land but not of the sea syndrome? God, what does God send? A storm, yes. Give yourself a check mark on that question. Question and answer. Right? God sends a storm. God shows that he is the, land, the Lord, not just of the land, but also of the sea. And the Bible says that God sends a storm. Now, look, it doesn't say that a storm came up and God did the best to redeem it in this situation. It doesn't say that a storm just happened to be and Jonah just made the best of it and it, it ended up for his good. No, it says that when Jonah ran, God sent a storm. Now, how is that grace. It doesn't sound like grace. Now let me tell you why it's grace. Because when God sends a storm like this, and not all the storms in our life are like this, but when God sends a storm like this in our life, it's not vindictive, it's not manipulative, and it is based in love, and it is for your good. And how do I know that? Because God sent the storm to Jonah not to kill him, but to call him back to life. God made it a little uncomfortable. He sent the storm into Jonah's life, not to crush him, but to correct him and bring him back into relationship. He did it not to put him to sleep forever, but to wake him up out of his rebellion and say, look at what you're doing. You're missing out on what I've called you to do. If you go down this road, you're going to die in your own brokenness and a whole city over here is not going to hear my word. Look at what you're doing. God sent the storm to wake him up for his good and for God's glory. And God will do the same for us. Listen to me. God will send a storm. Now, I'm not saying that every storm in your life has this characteristics. And I'm not saying, I'm never saying that God is going to send someone to sin against you. Because God has never been tempted to sin. He does not sin. He will never sin. But sometimes, I mean, I read it. Here, we have proof that God will make things uncomfortable for us to call us back to Him. And that is God's grace. That is God's grace. Because how else is He going to do it sometimes? I don't know if anyone knows yourself as good as I know us. How else would He do it? How else would He wake me up without sending a storm to get me to look to Him? Because it is a dreadful thing to be running from God. It is a dreadful thing, guys. And I know we, we all admit to it, we all have in the past, but Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that appears right, but the end of it is death. That's what sin is. Our own way, the way that we think it should go, if it's apart from God's will, it will lead us to brokenness and to death. And God wants to save us so bad from that that He will send a storm to wake us up. In His grace, He's not willing to let you and I be short-sighted enough to miss His call for us. In His grace, He's not willing to let us be so short-sighted to just live for the things of this life and not live fully for His kingdom. Amen? Amen. I got a young amen out there. I like that. God in His grace will send us a storm to shake us and bring us to Him, not for our harm, but for our good. If a storm is what it takes to get our eyes looking back to Him, He will send it. And He's good and gracious for doing that. That is grace. Just 
I'm going to make sure that you guys heard me, that not every storm in our life is like that. Does that make sense? Everyone got that? But sometimes. And so I would urge you to look in your life today. If there's an area where you know that you're running from God, if there's an area that the Holy Spirit has illuminated to you, maybe God would give you eyes to see that things aren't, ever since that decision, things aren't going right. Or ever since this running, ever since I'm rebelling in this area, it's kind of falling apart. And it may just be that God is sending a storm of His uncomfortable grace for your own good. Alright, the next point. Sailors on the ship. Now even though God sent the storm, you would think right there it would be enough, right? You've got a storm, it's enough to break the ship. They're throwing cargo off. You would think, it'd be like, okay, I get it, God. I get it. I confess. I turn around. But is that what Jonah did? No. (laughs) He ran and he hid and he continued to rebel. See, even in the storm, he looked for comfort in the storm that he was already in. When everyone was going crazy, what can we do to fix this? Where's Jonah? Sleeping in the ship, right? I heard some snoring. All right. He looked for comfort in the bottom of the boat during a storm. God sent the storm to wake him up, but he rebelled still by trying to sleep. So what happens? Crazy storm. The captain comes down who doesn't believe in the God that Jonah believes in and says, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, he asks him to pray. So here he is. He's got a non-believer asking him to pray. Why don't you pray to your God? Because maybe he'll hear us. All right. So then Jonah comes up with the rest of the sailors and the sailors want to know why. And they're casting lots like drawing straws and the lot falls by God's uncomfortable grace on Jonah. (laughs) Everyone's pointing their fingers. Dude, what'd you do? What's going on, bro? How can we get this to stop? Who are you? What did you do? Where are you from? Who do you worship? And even that is a picture of God's uncomfortable grace confronting Jonah. And why do I say that? Because at that moment, he has to confess. Just like at my moment in the sound booth at church camp with my pastor grilling me. I just felt this thing. I had to confess. I had to tell what's going on. In the same way, Jonah is confronted, and even though it's uncomfortable to be confronted by other people, he has to confess. And you know what? He confesses what he did, and he confesses who God is, and that he was running from God. And you know how God even used, you know how I know it was grace, is that God even used his rebellion and his confessing of his rebellion to cause the unbelieving captain to pray to God. And then later in the story, when he gets thrown in the sea, caused all the sailors to sacrifice to the Lord and make vows to him. God's grace is fully at work in this to where when he confessed, God even used his confession of rebellion to bring other people to him. Exposing his rebellion was to the glory of God. You and I, Christian or not, are called to this uncomfortable grace of confession. If you're not yet a believer, I believe that God is pursuing you 
to save you from sin. And what He calls us to is to believe in our hearts in the Lord Jesus and confess with our mouth. And we'll be saved. And Christians, if you're here today, we're called to confess our sins to one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Why has God called us to confess? Is it because He likes us to be uncomfortable? He likes to see us squirm? Uh, no, it's for our own healing. That's right. It's for our own healing. It's a grace of God that He's called us to live in the light. He's not comfortable to allow us to sit in the darkness of our own sins in the bottom of the boat. But He's going to pull us out to the light so that we can be free from sin. And I urge you today, if there's a sin in your heart right now, if there's a sin in your life that you haven't yet confessed, do not let the day pass. Do not let the day pass without finding someone else who loves Jesus that you can bear your heart with. And you can say, hey brother, hey sister, pray for me. I need to be free from this. I need God's grace in this. Don't let the day pass with that still bound up inside. It's uncomfortable, but it's grace. It's grace. We've got time later in communion to do that. Or if you need just to be one-on-one with some, somebody, call them up. It's going to help heal us. All right, that brings us to the last one. You guys are like, hey, this is going quick. All right. <laughs> So we've got God's uncomfortable grace in the storm on the sea that He loves us too much to let us just rebel without waking us up. We've got God's uncomfortable grace in the sailors on the ship that He confronts Him with a situation where He has to confess. But it's ultimately for God's glory and for His good. And then we've got, finally, the whale in the water. When we come back to this story, it's at the climax of the story. All has been revealed but the storm is still not over yet the waves are still giant they're still afraid for their lives and they say how can we make it better for us <laughs> now that we know it's your fault what do we need to do to you all right and Jonah says you know what just throw me up over the uh, edge of the boat and I know it's my fault, and I'll take the blame for that. <sighs> I guess this is it. You see, if we're too familiar with the story, we can think that Jonah knew there was a fish down there. <laughs> yeah. But we have nothing in the story to indicate that Jonah thought he would live through this. There's nothing in the story to indicate that he didn't think this is the end of my life. I ran from God enough and now I have to pay for it. Even the sailors prayed to the Lord and said, don't hold us accountable for killing this guy. So they thought he was going to die. He most likely thought he was going to die. And his disobedience weighed so heavy on his heart that he thought his only option was to give up and pay for it with his own life. 
and he's thrown overboard and he's sinking down, 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 down. And you read chapter 2 and it says that seaweed wrapped around his head. And he described it as, I went to the place where the mountains take root. He's sinking down. And then the last verse of the chapter says, but God. We've heard but Jonah, but Jonah in rebellion. But God provided a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. You see, I always thought when I grew up in Sunday school that, that the whale or the great fish, it doesn't, it could, it could be a whale. Um, the, the Hebrew isn't specific, right? So I'm going to call it a whale. <laughs> but the whale, I always thought that it was punishment. That, you know, Jonah just wouldn't listen right, so God put him up in a whale, man. Three days, now you're going to listen? I always thought that it was God's punishment for Jonah. But the way Jonah sees it is God's grace. When he was at the end, when he couldn't make up for it on his own, when he thought, I just have to die to pay for this, to fix this. On his way down, sinking down to his death, God swallowed him up in grace and preserved and saved his life and rescued him so that he would be pointed back to obeying God. Amen. Amen. In the same way, Mm. God's grace is there to swallow us up. And when we get into this story, a lot of people are just like, could, hey, could it, could, could that happen? Like, the whole Jonah, great fish thing, scientifically speaking, what's going on there? Right? And, and a few things that you should know is, uh, from what I read in the Hebrew language, belly doesn't necessarily mean stomach. It just means internal. So, it could be in the mouth folds of a warm-blooded whale, which they are mammals and they have to come up and breathe all the time. So, but instead, instead of debating, and scholars debate, is this fictional, non-fictional? What I can say is this. I serve a God that can easily make that happen. I'm not going to stand here and preach to you that a dead man rose from the grave 2,000 years ago and is promising you eternal life, which I do preach that, and I do believe that, and then say that it couldn't happen exactly as it's written in the book. That's nothing for God. But regardless of wherever that debate is in your mind, the picture and the story is real. That God's grace is there to swallow us up. And I don't know where you are. If you're here today and you've just been feeling burdened and and weighted down, even as I've been talking, if you're thinking about that area in your life of disobedience and you're wondering, how am I ever going to make that right? How am I ever going to pay for that? How is God's kingdom ever going to come into this little sequestered area that I have? And it's weighing heavy on you and you might be tempted to give up and say, well, this is the end. I can't fix that. Or you may be here and you may not even fully believe in sin, but you feel guilt and you feel shame and it doesn't make sense because you don't believe. But God can still redeem you from that if you come to Him today. And the way He does that See, don't don't give up. Don't think that you can pay for it on your own. Don't think 
that God even expects you to pay for it on your own because that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is for us that when we feel that weight of sin in ourselves and of our own disobedience, that God sent a whale in the water for us. And His name is Jesus. Matthew 12, chapter 38, verse 40. This is some of the words of Jesus. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, we have it up here. Pharisees and the teachers of the law said, they're talking to Jesus, said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. When you're at your lowest point and you're sinking down and you don't see how it's going to change, Jesus is your whale in the water who is here to swallow your life up in grace. You see, when he said that I'm giving you the sign of Jonah, what he was talking about was going to the cross for our sins and dying, his blood being spilled so that we would have forgiveness and freedom for all that rebellion, for all that running away. He put it to death in himself and then he went into the heart of the earth. Just like Jonah went into the belly of the great fish. But you know what, at the end, you know, Jonah's story, he got vomited back up. It's not that great. But Jesus, when he was in the heart of the earth, he rose from the dead, never to die again. To give us the promise of new life and new hope. Yeah. And to take our sin and rebellion and swallow it up in himself. Take it on Himself and give us life and give us hope and give us a purpose and give us a call and say, I need you to preach the gospel to San Diego. I need you to make disciples of your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers so that they can know my love and grace and be turned from rebellion. To be turned from the dreadful spot that they're in. Because I've done that for you. Jesus is our well in the water. Though we rebelled, He obeyed. You want to talk about uncomfortable? Let's talk about anguish on the cross. So that He could set us free. Are you sinking? Are you running from God? I urge you today, listen to the uncomfortable grace of God. And not only listen to it, let it cause your heart to run to Him in worship. God, as big as you are, that you would care enough to send a storm into my life to wake me up. God, as big as you are, that you would put other people around me who love Jesus, that, that are there for me to confess and find healing. Yeah. Yeah. God, as big as you are, you're not willing to just let me take the fall for my own sin. You send a whale to save me. The uncomfortable grace of God is here this morning and I urge you to take hold of it. I urge you to take hold of it. If you're not a believer and for the first time you've had something in your heart, turn on and you're saying, what is this about? I want to pray with you after this. We're going to close down everything and, and pray. Um, we're going to move to communion. Um, there's a couple communion stations. You guys know what to do. Come in your groups or 
or uh, uh, couples or friends. And um, we do that to remember how God provided grace for us and, and saved us. Um, if you're not yet a believer, we still invite you to come and watch and, and see see and uh, see people partake in that and how they have turned their life over to Christ. I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to be done. Father, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your uncomfortable grace, God, that you're not willing to let us die in our own ways. You're not willing to let us miss out on who you've called us to be, God, but that you love us so much, Lord. That, you, that when we run from you, you don't just cut off the ties and let us go do it. God, but you chase after us with your love, God. You bring us into situations that call for things that only your grace can do. Only your grace can heal those areas in our hearts. And so we call upon you today. Pray for each person here, God, that we would see that grace and worship you for it. We believe you and thank you so much. Jesus name.